Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Coach Baseball Right podcast. I'm your host and founder of Coach Baseball Right, Steve Nicolarat. Join us as we go inside, outside, and all around baseball, discussing how to coach baseball the right way. Ucraft is a food truck located in St. Louis, Missouri, and has a storefront opening in 2020 in the STL Foundry Development in Midtown. At Ucraft, you can feed your healthy cravings with bowls, sandwiches, and avocado toast for breakfast. When lunchtime and dinner hits, you can choose from a variety of custom paninis, salads, and a soup of the day. Upon arrival, guests choose between a Ucraft experience, build your own entree, or WeCraft. You can select from the staff recommended menu. Those who want to go to the customized route can create countless personalized options with a wide variety of lettuces, proteins, local free-range eggs, veggies, fruits, drizzles, house-made salad dressings, toppings, and add-ons. If you would like your company event catered, we can do that too. Give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Ucraft Eats. For more information, please go to our website, www.ucrafteats.com. In today's Coach Baseball Rights podcast, I'm really excited to share with you our interview with Tony Vitello, head baseball coach at the University of Tennessee. Tony's rise to the head coaching position at Tennessee included stops at Missouri, TCU, and Arkansas as an assistant coach in charge of recruiting. He's earned a reputation as one of the top recruiters on the college baseball scene, having assembled eight top 15 signing classes, including the top-rated class in 2014. In November of 2016, D1Baseball.com ranked Vitello number two on its list of the top 30 recruiting coordinators in America. Coach Vitello has been on the college scene now for 15 years and has signed and developed six first-round MLB draft picks and a handful of players who have advanced to the big leagues. In this interview, we're going to talk about what it takes to be an outstanding college recruiter, the change in the recruiting process, moving away from high school coaches and high school programs and more to the summer programs and the summer coaches. We'll talk about the life of a college baseball player and the adjustments that a high school player makes as he goes from high school to college and then from college to the pro game. And if you're a parent or a coach, you're really going to be interested to find out what it takes for your son to play at the next level and what you need to do to provide him or her the best chance at doing so. And I think you're also really going to enjoy Coach Vitello's take on playing multiple sports. So with that being said, let's jump into our interview. Hi, everybody. We are here with Tony Vitello, head baseball coach at the University of Tennessee. Tony, thanks so much for being on the Coach Baseball Right podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Hey, Tony, our, uh, our Coach Baseball Right program is all about helping organizations, coaches, parents transform baseball experiences and developments. We started this podcast to allow our listeners to hear different perspectives on coaching baseball the right way. So with that being said, let me jump into our first question. You have an outstanding reputation as an excellent recruiter. What does it take to be a good recruiter? Well, I think the first thing is something that's hard to control. I've been blessed to be at four great places uh, that are major universities, big budgets, and all those things. Uh, so those are a blessing for me personally. But I think regardless of your circumstances, uh, you kind of have to be willing to, to sacrifice quite a bit because recruiting requires time at odd hours, whether it be an early Sunday morning or late on a Tuesday night. Uh, rain delays cause you to watch games past midnight sometimes in the summer. Uh, so like any job that you need to do a you know, well at, it's time consuming, but it's, it's really an off-base schedule uh, that's demanded of you. And um, for, for people that have families, unlike myself, you know, I'm single, I can only imagine how much more difficult it is because it's a challenge. Um, would you say that, that are you away actually during the season or is, is almost all of your recruiting done in the off-season? I would say a good majority is done during the summer, but the fall would be the next portion of time where you do miss some practice or you do schedule practice so that you can make an event but, you know, not miss practice. And then in the spring, really it's only going to be the recruiting coordinator that's probably going to end up missing a lot. Um, now, I've missed practices in the spring as the head coach, but as a recruiting coordinator, I've gone, I've gone as far as to miss a game or two, which – it's never good for your players, and we've kind of made it a policy now at Tennessee that I don't want that to happen. It's, it's not a very good message to your team. Uh, you're basically telling your team that this game's not that important. We need to go see this other guy. Uh, but it just kind of reflects or goes to show you how challenging and how demanding recruiting has become. And it doesn't matter what athletic team or what level, recruiting is the lifeblood of your sport or your program. So. You really do have to make sacrifices, but I think that's going a little too far. Well, let, let's suppose for a second that I was a, a pretty good ball player and, and you were going to recruit me, right, to, to your school. What is it? What's your, sure. what's your sell? What are you, you going to say to get me to your school, to your city, to your baseball program? Well, I, I think currently what we have is, is if you're going to call it a sales pitch or kind of our niche is, we're new to Knoxville and the University of Tennessee. The program hasn't had a good deal of success lately, so we kind of have this remodeling vision or high expectations or new standards, whatever you want to call it. I don't really like saying rebuilding. And some kids have really been, uh, you know, captured by that, as well as some of the football recruits we've had on campus for uh, our new coaching staff of football. So that newness has been an attraction, but, you know, overall – I try not to get too pitchy. It's more about laying it out there and being as honest as possible about what our environment is like. And then that way it doesn't create any problems down the road, and immediately the family or the prospect will either latch on to what he hears because that's a good match for what he's looking for, or it will turn them off or, or maybe just not excite them, which in the long run I think is going to save everybody time on that end too. Right. Hey, is there a, is there an area 
of the country that that in order for you to be successful that you feel you have to recruit well in? You know, when I was at TCU, it's a private school, so there is no in-state tuition, but nonetheless, it's a Texas school, and everyone kind of knows the environment down there. I felt strongly like we had to almost dominate Texas or attempt to, uh, but since I've left, even that school has kind of gone nationwide. Texas A&M, who, who rarely left the state, uh, got a commitment from Hawaiian uh, recently. So even for the most devout, you know, state schools that want to keep all the best players in the state, it's kind of become a nationwide thing for some more than others. Um, you know, you do have schools like Fullerton that don't have a huge recruiting budget, have a ton of good players in their area. They don't go too far outside of a 30-mile radius. But, you know, even them are occasionally picking off a player from a, a national showcase. And for us, our state, if, if you're good at geography, which I'm not, I didn't realize where we were or what shape the state was. It's so long horizontally. We touched so many other states. It's, you know, you do want all the Vols fans to stick around, but it's kind of something we've thrown our hands up in the air and said we're not going to be able to draw a circle around this thing and just do Tennessee kids. So for us, we're even more so a nationwide deal. But we are trying to regionalize a little bit. You know, Atlanta's just south of us, and the, the amount of players down there is as heavy a flow as, as any really in the country. Hey, what's, um, what's the, the biggest difference between the high school game and the college game? You know, I don't know if it's, it's dead on the best answer, but my first reaction is your mistakes uh, come at a greater cost. So if you do walk a guy, he's much more likely to score. Uh, you know, you see plenty of, of guys that have big arms in high school but don't yet have the command. They can get away with walking guys because they've got the big stuff to make up for it. Um, you, you know, if you make an error in the field or you're just not quick enough with your release, and the shortstop, the runners are that much quicker. They'll make you for that. So I just feel like it's a game, kind of like tennis, unforced errors are a huge part of the game. Um, and I feel like when you do make a mistake at our level, it comes with a much greater penalty or is penalized more often than the high school game. So now let's take that on to the to the next level. Let's go from high-level college baseball to the professional game. Yeah, as a pitcher, I've just I've heard nightmare stories uh, from from some of those guys that I've coached that are pitchers. That if you miss your spot by just a little bit, there's guys. And I, I played with a guy that gave up one of Barry Bonds' 77 homers that year, and he pitched against them. It's just like if, if you leave it in the wrong spot, not only is he going to make you pay, it's almost automatic that it's a home run. Um, so. You know, at that next level, it's going to grow. Now, the, the one thing I will address since you bring it up is everyone says as you get older, the game speeds up. And I kind of alluded to that with quicker runners down the line. you you got to get rid of the ball quicker and all that stuff. But if you talk to a lot of the professional guys, as they get to especially the big league level, they have a phrase or, or will often say the game doesn't speed up, it slows down. And – you know, what they mean by that is you see a lot of guys that play the game more calm and a lot more fluid, uh, a lot more loose, and a lot more natural with their movements. And that's something that 
we challenge our guys to do is not necessarily be in a rush, uh, but to actually try and slow the game down, which is very difficult to do. But, you know, the best guys I've coached, like Andrew Benintendi and Ian Kinsler, they're the two best I've been around. They just naturally, it almost aggravates you how slow the game seems to come to them. So let's follow up just a little bit, you know, in that it, for a high school kid, what will his biggest adjustment be? You know, when he goes out for his first workout at the University of Tennessee, what what do you think that kid's gotta gotta understand in order to, to find some success? I'm gonna go with kind of a three part answer, but the main one is he's gonna be blown away with how much is demanded of, and that's why I think it's crucial for kids. It's great if you go to a St. Louis Cardinals game, you know, where I'm from, but it's just as well to go to a St. Louis University game because. You'll be able to be up close, and you'll actually—it'll be more of a sense of reality of this is what these guys have to do, and uh, you know the guys in college have to grind a lot more than those guys in the big leagues. You know, some guys won't take BP because they need to rest their body. There's no guy in college, <laughs> you know, other than an injury that needs to rest. He needs swings. So if if high school kids or even junior high kids would go out and see the time demands of these guys, how many swings they actually put in. I think they get a small taste of what it's like. I just met with one of our players today, and he openly admitted, he said, there were times where I didn't do my homework because I was so tired after practice, and so my GPA is not going to be what I want it to be. And uh, it, it, it's just a lot. So, um, you know, for those guys, it, it's incredibly demanding when they first get there. And then my other two portions of the answer, for guys that are being recruited, they always want to hear that they're going to play as a freshman. And unfortunately, in recruiting, there's a lot of telling guys whatever they want to hear, but it's hard to play as a freshman uh, once you actually get on campus. And the two things are you have to be physically ready. And a lot of freshmen just come in too skinny, um, you know, not strong enough to swing the back or not physical enough to hold up, you know, for a season on the mound. But if you are physically ready, the next thing – it's probably the biggest out of all these answers is can you handle all the stuff that's thrown at you? And I know I talked about having to practice a lot and then go to school, but I just mean the, the mental load you have to take on of new signs. You don't have these intense scouting reports. Uh, you have media to deal with, TV, um, just so many different things thrown at you uh, that, you know, really can cause you to, lose the simplicity of the game, which ultimately on game day is a kid's game. But even for our college guys, even though it's not professional baseball, it can seem like a job to juggle all that stuff. And, and even a player as great as Andrew Benintendi, as I mentioned before, I remember him freshman year kind of going through a dark period where he just was kind of beat up mentally and emotionally on all the stuff that was in his face with, with the tasks of being a college athlete. And it wore him out. And, uh, fortunately, he got through that period, and I think he's doing all right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Hey, you know, I've coached for a long time, and, and the one thing I've really noticed, a, a big change, um, is, is in the recruiting process and the involvement or lack of involvement today of the, of the high school coach. It, it seems that there's a lot of college coaches that really don't communicate much at, with the high school coach. Uh, I guess they're recruiting from other sources. You know, they're showcase events, they're tournaments, they're camps, and so forth. 
Would you say that's accurate? And, and if it is, um, why did that take place? Why did that evolution come come about? Yeah, for a high school coach's son, it's frustrating. And, and you, you did coach for a long time, and you were successful at it, great at it, really. And so you should be as good of a resource as anybody as far as giving factual information about the kid as a player. And then you also hold what I think is the most powerful bit of information. You know what the kid is like in the hallways of the high school. Um, because any kid is smart enough to know if he's at a major event in the summer and there's a bunch of college coaches around, he probably needs to mind his P's and Q's. Um, he probably doesn't need to get thrown out of the game. He doesn't need to talk back to his coach. He probably needs to hustle a little bit. And so you get maybe a false act from some of these guys in those scenarios, whereas you get to be around the kid in all kinds of circumstances, as well as practice, which summer teams rarely do. And so you have a wealth of information. So why would someone not contact you? And I think it really comes down to the timeline of, of how this recruiting process goes. Uh, summer dominates the calendar. And then in the winter, that's downtime. Like for us now, we're not going out to see guys, but we're gathering names. And those summer coaches are the ones that are really, in order for them to make money, they almost kind of have to become an agent for the family. Whereas you're, you're more into the development of the player in some cases. I, I want to put an asterisk on that because some of these summer coaches really are looking out for the kids. But your job is to teach him when he, you have him in class and then teach him on the field when you have him in practice and then, you know, help him or assist him on game day or comp- compete alongside of him on game day to represent your high school. The summer coach Really, his job is to get him in the cage and increase the exit velo or the velo off the mound and then help him get, you know, offers or visits lined up at school. So that, that guy kind of becomes his agent. And if, if I had all the time in the world and I had my druthers, I think I'd rather be in touch with the high school coach. But with how fast-paced this college recruiting thing has become and how time-sensitive it is, you, you kind of go to the source that is reaching out to you, and it becomes this little interaction that almost mirrors free agency baseball. You know, right. Scott Boris tells the Nationals this money isn't good enough for Bryce Harper, and then the Nationals come back and say, but we want them. And you're really, at the end of the day, you're trying to work out a deal. And, and I won't lie to you, sometimes I get caught up in the mode of we got to get this deal done, we got to get this deal done, and it gets done, and I'm like, man, I hope we don't regret this thing because I skipped about five steps. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes that's to my fault or there's some laziness in there. But a lot of times it's like, hey, this summer, this summer grind will absolutely crush you. And you're looking for shortcuts any time you can get them. And, you, and you know, the, the, the thing that disappoints me most about the reality of our time is that I think the, the purpose of the game has, has changed at, at levels below the, the collegiate level. You know, it used to be that you had two good teams playing and there was great competition. Uh, and today it, it seems to be about how, how well a kid shows. Coaches will leave right, players in to show them longer, you know, and that's disappointing. Right. And I don't mean to, uh, 
try and put your words into my context, but the way I decipher what you're saying is when, back when, it wasn't that long ago when I was playing, we played to learn how to play the game and basically be a, be a better ball player. And now it's train, train, train so that you're a better prospect. Again, it, it's kind of all about getting this deal done. You can't get eyes in front of you unless you have people reaching out and you got a video and your exit velocity gets better. And, and none of this really equates to, hey, you know what? I just pitched for my team and we won the state championship. Um, you know, we, we just tried to get a kid and it's not going to work out because of distance. But he, he won the state championship for a huge state. I don't even want to say it because recruiting is so competitive. One of the best baseball states in the country. But he's not a velocity guy, so he's at a junior college. And he can touch 90 miles an hour, but he just is not very prospect. He's just a winner. And, you know, in, you know, a different decade, maybe he's got all kinds of offers, but now it's, again, it's about the prospect thing and it's about getting the deal done instead of playing the game so you're better at playing the game. Would you say that we're actually seeing that in this current new wave of, of younger major league players where they're actually, instead of getting fundamentally sound at the collegiate level, high school level, uh, minor league level, that in fact they're trying to, they're, they're being fundamentally taught and while they're learning how to play in the big leagues. Yeah, and I, I think you hear it from especially some of the old school uh, coaches in the big leagues and, and, and really even guys that, you know, you either coached against or I played with, their frustration with the guys when they first get them is they're literally at ground zero as far as fundamentals, but even more so at how to execute situations that will win you a game, a good slide to avoid a tag, a good relay throw, or being in proper position uh, for a cutoff on defense. At the plate, cutting down on your swing and putting the ball in play with two strikes uh, so that you can move a runner or different other uh, areas you can execute on offense without actually having, you know, a ball go over a fence or an outfielder's head for an impressive hit. This podcast is powered by E3 Consultants Group. E3 wants to awaken the inner entrepreneur in anyone who is ready to take control of their financial picture. E3's family office model is prepared to serve individuals, families, and business owners with the right mindset, regardless of your net worth. E3 Consultants Group believes it's time for a new age of enlightenment. People need people to take responsibility for their financial well-being. The problem rests with inactivity, in sitting back and doing nothing. Essentially, we've allowed an entitlement society to overtake our ability to succeed or fail on our own merits. If you are ready to equip yourself with the knowledge and strategies to break out of this cycle and take your financial picture to the next level, then E3's business model is ready to assist you in thinking differently. If you are an entrepreneur, who is helping you get to the next level? Are there financial roadblocks standing in your way? At E3 Consultants Group, their mindset is all about optimizing the tools of time, talent, and capital. Whether it happens through cash flow awareness, income tax strategies, business consulting, 
privatized banking strategies, wealth management, or asset protection, E3 is ready to take your mindset from worry to wealth to worthiness. John Moriarty, the founder and president of E3, is a longtime supporter of Coach Baseball Right. Visit their websites, www.e3cg.com or www.e3wealth.com or contact John Moriarty directly at 314-805-9349 to learn more. Tell them Coach Nicola Rott sent you. It's time to think differently. E3 Consultants Group, education, empower, enlighten. Now, let's switch gears just a little bit. I, uh, I love practice, and, and I love uh, planning practice, and, and I really enjoyed the flow and the pace of a great practice. Can, can you describe sure. your practice planning process and, and how much time you spend preparing um, for your practice? Yeah, you, you know, what, what I think you want to settle into as a baseball player, and, and we have this fortune at, at the college level, a lot of our guys have been around guys like you, so they have a, a good foundation or a secure foundation of fundamentals. So we don't necessarily have to be as creative as I think you do, but you want to be creative because these are still teenagers and 21-year-olds that, you know, you'll lose them and you won't get anything out of the practice if it doesn't have something fun to it. So our our practices are kind of a combination of those two things. And what I mean is we kind of have a routine where we have a dynamic warm-up, some speed work every day, uh, some base running every day, and then some defensive fundamentals really to start every day. And then after that kind of comes into play some of the things we talked about in the office during the day and you know, really what we should do when we have our best practices is when we all meet in our conference room for the day and kind of come up with the plan together. But because of recruiting phone calls at night and different families, we're kind of all there at different times, and it really just becomes a text message fest or a walk down the hall and bring something up. And At the end of the day, I just kind of come up with a list that I think are the most important things and maybe one thing that will get the guy's attention, whether it's fun or it's real competitive, and we throw together that practice and then go do it. And I think the important thing about, you know, if any coaches are looking for advice, I think about, you know, I, I get the sense you get the same high that I do when it goes well and you kind of were firing on all cylinders and, like you said, it flowed well without any delays. There's got to be some days in there where you just kind of screw it up or you try something and you know what, it didn't work, but at least I tried it. And uh, I think that's something I've encouraged our guys when they break it down with their positional uh, groups is, you know, don't be afraid to try anything. Or if you need an extra five minutes, you know, don't hesitate. Um, try, try and be creative. And, and with that creativity, it's going to come some trial and error. Hey, what's the most undercoached part of the game? I, I think base running. And that's really where we try and sit. Our, you can even break it down to sliding. We beat uh, Mississippi when I was at Arkansas in an FTC tournament game that really probably secured us hosting a regional, and that's the year we went to Omaha. It could have been the difference maker literally going to Omaha because we got to host, and it was a slide at second base and extra innings um, where our guy really should have been thrown out, but it was a great slide. He ends up scoring the game-winning run. 
and like I said, the rest is history for that season. And, uh, you know, it, it starts really with your thought process before the pitch and then ends with a slide, a potential slide situation. But there's all kinds of stuff in the middle there, including speed work. Um, everyone wants to recruit fast players, but very few uh, people coach it, coach speed or work at it. And then just there's an awful lot of thought process that goes into base running. And if you look at the best players or the best teams, they're, they're really good at it. I mean, the Boston Red Sox outfield defense and base running were two areas uh, that they excelled tremendously. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing when you get two good ball clubs out there in the field together how how it always comes down to something small, you know, and, and – uh, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the base running part of the game, and, and I think that is that is an area that across the board, especially at the level that I spent most of my life at, the high school level, uh, base running was that, that area that was, was undercoached as well. Um, you know, many, many, many years ago, I used to officiate college basketball, and I walked in a lot of arenas uh, on the back door, and I saw things that most people, when they saw the game on TV, um, that they, they, never, they never saw. And I kind of think that our parents today are are in that boat when it comes to to playing, you know, major college athletics. Can you describe for me um, and for our listeners the the life of a college baseball player in in both the fall season uh, and the spring season? Yeah, it's it's almost you do get free time, but it comes in chunks. Uh, you know, fall break or Thanksgiving break, but when you're really in it, um, it, it's almost militaristic, you know, uh, type of lifestyle, and and no disrespect to, you you know, our troops, but what I mean by that is it's so, again, demanding and regimented every day. It's wake up. A lot of teams will lift in the morning. Uh, Most of our lifts happen to be in the afternoon, but if you lift in the morning, it's make sure you eat something, lift, and then you need a real breakfast, and then you go to class, and then you go to lunch, and then you go to early work, and then you go to practice, and after practice, you're going to eat dinner, and then you probably have some sort of study hall or tutor, or you need to do some academics on your own. And this really brings us to late in the evening, where you probably do have some time before you go to bed, but you're probably not going to have any energy. Um, So that's where, you know, you catch up on the phone or the computer or video games for a little bit, but you're not going to have a whole lot of energy to do anything else because you're, you're going to need to be set to wake up and do it all over again the next day. And, uh, you know, eating is a job, being a student. Another full-time job is taking care of your body. There's so many recovery tools now uh, in addition to all the heavy training that goes on with lifting and speed work. And then you have another full-time job, which is to be as good of a player as you can be. So, a lot of times our guys will be in the cages at night on their own and all kinds of other things. So, you know, it's almost like you're a single parent in two or three jobs to keep food on the table for their family, and and that's what is expected of you day in and day out. It's up for, you know, the football week. Hey, Tony. Yeah, I just yeah. – uh... I just missed, I think I just lost you for a bit, but that's okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you this too. Um, missing, do kids miss practice for class at the college level? They do in the fall. 
Um, and really in the spring, too, Eric Fisher is a kid that I coached who was in his fifth year of school, and he was a business major, uh, which was a very competitive major at, at Arkansas. And uh, me and him basically became <laughs> almost more buddies than coach player because we spent so much one-on-one time with another. But he had to work around his schedule. And we send out a couple different pamphlets to our guys that say, you know, practice is never an excuse to be late to or miss class. Now, a game is a different situation. Our guys will literally miss class just to be at batting practice um, on occasion. But, uh, yeah, at, at no point do we want our guys missing class because of, of practice. We can always rearrange that schedule. Um, college coaches now have phenomenal facilities, a bunch of help. Uh, we all make good money nowadays for the most part. So we can rearrange our schedule to adhere to those student-athletes. Hey, when you look at the state of youth baseball today, would would you say the kids are playing too much? Yeah, there, there are periods of the year where they are, um, you know, where it just becomes a deal on Sunday where it's their fifth game, the team's out of pitching that they're playing, they're not getting any competitive at-bats out of it. You know, everyone's kind of toast for the weekend. They've been sleeping in a hotel. They've been in a car for the last three weeks. Um, so I, I feel like there's pockets in there where it's overkill. And, um, you, you know, then there's other times where maybe they're not doing enough or, or maybe not working enough at things. And it, it's almost kind of like I was joking about, I won't badmouth a, a deli sandwich place that's out there, but to me they're kind of known for just plopping the meat down right in the middle of the, of the bun and it's not really spread evenly like some people would prefer. And I think that's kind of a parallel for what I'm getting at. So it's kind of a yes and no answer. But overall, I would answer yes. Um, I think kids get beaten down, especially the, the younger kids that are not even in high school yet. You know, that I, I, I watch my kids play uh, youth sports, and I coach some youth sports. And I could never understand why we put kids in a spot to play, uh, you know, the, the second or third game on a Sunday. And everyone, they couldn't wait for the last out of the last inning so they could start to go home. And yet here we are. We've got these kids playing the third game of the day. And there's not much good happening sometimes with all this stuff going on. No, and that's what you got to look around. And, unfortunately, money kind of drives that. A lot of the hotels, um, you know, the cities that are hosting with the hotels the night before. And you got to get this guy in the game and things like that. But if, if you look at it, yeah. I'm single, so I, I would stay around Sunday a lot of times, but, you know, it's supposed to be exposure baseball for some of these high-level summer teams, and I'd be the only guy in the stands because everyone else has a family and they're home where they should be on a Sunday. And so to me, I, I've always thought Sunday should be cut out of the mix in, unless it's some sort of major tournament, but um, I don't have that, that empowerment to, uh, <laughs> to make that the letter of the law. If if we could make one change to youth baseball, one change, what what would it be? You know, it, as killer of a statement as as it may sound or may be, I think the parents' role um, in the development of the players and, and just how the behavior is around the ballpark. I I think a lot of the mistakes that are made are, are made out of love, and I I'm not a parent, so I can't put myself in, in people's shoes, but I do get it. You want your son to succeed, and, and you want attention, and, and you want the best things for him. 
Um, but I just think at the ballpark in particular, the environment can be toxic sometimes when you see parents uh, trying to coach their, their sons basically over the top of the actual coaching staff. And, you know, again, you want good things, but um, you're sending a message of, of not being respectful to, you know, those that are in authority or, or even just your elders in general. Um, the crazy reactions to wins and losses or results are actually counterintuitive to what I've been taught. Um, most of the best coaches that I've, you know, learned from or have read on, they actually try and get their players to detach themselves um, for, from emotion as, as far as results go. The approach is what's most important. So I, I think if parents could focus more on the actual approach, you know, going to lessons and things like that is not to spend the most money or brag about the results that occurred or say you're working with this guy or that guy. It's more about learning to sacrifice for what you want, uh, you know, the work ethic that it takes to do so uh, and, and learning how to make adjustments so you improve areas of weakness. Um, but I, I just think they're – and then the recruiting aspect, uh, you know, as far as showcasing your son and what's important for him, it's just – it's a little convoluted, and, and I do think it's important to try and win, but if you really break down winning, it's kind of a team deal, so you're willing to do whatever it takes for the team to win, and when you're doing that, um, you're becoming and learning how to be a good teammate, which can really carry over in all kinds of different aspects of life or at any level that you're able to play at as a baseball player. You know, you, every time I go on and give a, a clinic, I always talk about the probably the most important thing I've ever done as a coach it has nothing to do with baseball. You know, it's about helping the kids grow through baseball. So it's it's really exciting for me to hear a guy at the major college level uh talk like that. It's a great that's a great message. Now I want to talk uh just for a second. Your dad was a, a real successful high school coach and he coached two sports. What's your take today on a multi sport athlete? And the growing well, perception, you know, the kids need to specialize. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I jumped the gun there because I, I get excited about the fact Coach Pruitt, our our new football coach, it, he recruited Jameis Winston. I mean, he he is all about two-sport athletes. And eventually, you know, if you're not making an impact at one or the other, then it's time to quit is what he'll tell the kids and we'll do the same. So we actually kind of have a little joint venture going on. And I think even at our level it can be beneficial. So for for guys to quit early – if they don't love the sport, I don't see much harm in that. I do think it can be overkill at a young age just focusing on one thing and not having a variety of hobbies and things like that because if you're really that good at it, I've kind of already illustrated how big of a grind it can be just at our level, much less the professional level. Um, but if, if you do love it and even just really like it, I think you'd regret not doing it. I mean, you remember a player named Pat Noonan that played for my dad. Uh -huh. and Pat quit his senior year of baseball, went on to almost make Team USA in soccer, played in Major League Soccer, is still a coach in Major League Soccer. But to this day, if you get him going, he still regrets not playing baseball his senior year. And, uh, you know, I know some people will say, well, soccer's not that manly of a sport. <laughs> I can come up with a bunch of other examples of guys I've coached, <laughs> look back and, and, and regret not doing it when they could have. And I think that's the thing. If you can do something, I think you should do it until someone tells you you can't. And that someone may be the game. It may not be a coach or a parent. It may be the game telling you, 
hey, you're not a pitcher and a hitter at this level. You're hitting 82, but you're, you're striking guys out when you're throwing on the mound, so you're a pitcher. Um, but I think, you know, as, as a young athlete, you want to figure out as much about yourself and then compete as many different situations as you can, and it's only going to benefit you. Um, so on top of the scientific deal of working different muscles um, and then also the, the thing of you don't want to get burnt out on one sport, I think the biggest thing is you compete in athletics to find out who you are and what you can do, and, and what better way to do it than be thrown into a bunch of different situations like facing a guy with the bases loaded in the seventh inning or being on the free throw line and having the crazy fans from the other high school yelling at you, you know, with the game on the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, hey, what would you say to a dad? He wants his kid to be seen. What would you say? He's a sophomore or junior in high school. Uh, his kid wants to play at the next level. He, you know, he wants his kid to be seen. What What should he do? Well, I think, and I hate to say it, I would backtrack to freshman year. I think it's a good idea to map this deal out and say, okay, the greatest player in our state or whatever committed when he was a freshman or a sophomore. That is an extreme case. I would base everything off the average. And the average is most guys don't know where they're going to school until approaching their senior year or even during their senior year. So put together a plan that, you know, is mapped out for that timeline. And if it comes quicker, great. If it doesn't come quicker, then just work harder and stay persistent. But I think, you know, going to a couple camps a year is very beneficial. I think picking a, a, a scouting service like Prep Baseball Report and not going to every one of their showcases and spending all kinds of money, but at least going to one where you're kind of in their system um, and, and people can look you up quickly. Okay, so there. <laughs> Five uh, you're, outside you're fine. Okay. Hey, just two more questions, okay? Okay, cool. Okay, hey, Tom, what's the biggest difference in coaching baseball in the SEC and the Big 12? Well, I think the Big 12 has changed uh, back in the day when, uh, you know, Missouri and Nebraska and A&M were a part of that deal. Um, it was ferocious competition. I mean, uh, to have Nebraska be an Omaha-level program throws everything out of whack because you normally think you'll beat up on the northern schools. So, you know, dating back to then, I don't think there was that big of a difference in the level of competition. Um, now the Big 12 is a little bit different. They still have Omaha-level programs. I, I think it's a little more spread thin. Mainly, you could argue, just because the numbers are smaller. But, you know, in the SEC, the one thing that stands out on the field the most is the bullpen arms. The bullpen arms are absolutely ridiculous. We used to try and pitch count guys at Missouri, um, and we would keep the pitch count and shout it out in the dugout. In the SEC, you're really wasting your time because there's a great chance that guy coming out of the pen has just as good a stuff. And, um, you know, then, then ultimately the biggest answer is the SEC onto itself for any sport has become such big business and is such a, a big deal to the media, fan base, the stadiums, the facilities, um, just the stakes at hand that it, it, it it's as close to big league baseball as you can find. Hey, uh, one last one last question for you. When, when it's all over, what do you want your players to remember about playing for you? <laughs> that, that's a good question. Um, 
well, hopefully they don't have too many stories, uh, you know, on me where they can blackmail me. But I, I think I think the biggest thing is that that I had passion. Um, I don't think I want to do this any longer if I don't have that passion and that I would have uh, the respect for the game and, and really myself to just call it quits whenever that time comes. If it does, I know some guys like, like my father couldn't be drug away from, from the deal, but, um, you know, for me, I, I think that's ultimately the deal. And, you know, whatever you're doing, if you inject some passion into it, you'll have success. And for a lot of these kids that I've coached, just like you, they've gone on to do all kinds of different things. And baseball is just a small part of their life. But I'd even say that for a couple guys I've coached in the big leagues. I mean, uh, you play in the big leagues for four or five years. It's the average major league career. But you'd like to think you're going to live to 80 or 90 years years old. So that's a huge chunk of your life. And you know, there's going to be other things you need to inject that passion into. Hey, listen, you're uh, you're doing a, a great job. Um, I'm really proud of you. I know your parents are really proud of you. And, and I just want to tell you, it's been great spending a few minutes with you. So thanks so much for sharing your insights on coaching baseball, and thanks so much for your time. Best of luck this year, and we're going to be pulling for you down there. So go get them, okay? You bet. Thanks a ton for having me. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tony Vitello, head baseball coach at the University of Tennessee. I think Coach Vitello is an extremely bright, hardworking, and passionate young coach who's going to do a great job. I really enjoyed getting uh, an up-close glimpse at the ever-changing college recruiting process. You know, the process has really changed from the emphasis being the high school program and the high school coach to now being on the summer programs. That's an important change that all of us need to, to realize. I also hope that players, parents, came away with some really concrete steps that they can take to better position themselves to be seen. I would suggest taking advantage of camps at the schools that you're interested in. I would suggest being cautious and very judicious in selecting your showcases. And I hope you also came away with the idea that it if you have a son or a daughter that wants to play multiple sports in high school, that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if the player only wants to play one sport, that's fine. But if you have a son or a daughter that wants to play multiple sports at the high school level, that's certainly a, a, a great thing to do. Well, again, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as uh, I did. Thank you so much for listening, and I would encourage you to share this podcast on Facebook and Twitter.